Hi, my name is Nick Thompson and I run holisticvet.co.uk. We're based near Bath in England. I'm Dr. Brendan Clark. I'm based at Towerwood Vets in West Yorkshire. And my name's Dr. Connor Brady, the non-vet of the gang from dogsbirth.ie. And together we are Good evening, Great Britain and Ireland. Ah, here we are. And beyond. It is time for Raw Pet Medics. Dr. Connor Brady and I are here. My name's Nick Thompson. And uh, Dr. Brendan Clark is away skiving in the Canadian... Where is he? Is he in the Rockies or something? I don't know. I don't he know said it happened. five times, but I keep ignoring it because two, the pictures are too nice, so I can't bring myself to look at them too long or I cry. He's British having Columbia. a very fine time. BC. Oh, man. Yeah. British Columbia. Amazing, Seriously amazing. natural. Moose. I can't believe moose are so big. They are. That's one big animal. Um, very surprised at how big they stand at the shoulder. Huge. Have you seen the size I, of a male moose? I just buy the small ones because they have less <laughs> calories per pot. Hey. Do you know what I love from Tesco's? This is proper bad. Oh, we're talking about bad food here. We're supposed to be nutritionists. <laughs> Everyone's a nutritionist, but we're not dietitians, so I can say what I want. Um, do you know what I love? Proper naughty food. Little mini trifles. I love trifle. Trifle is one of my favorite things to eat. Trifle. Not like trifle. Yeah. Wow. Filthy trifle with a bit of sponge, jelly, crappy bit of fruit, loads of sherry, a uh, load of custard, or maybe cream. But uh, Homemade is amazing. With, oh, with loads of sherry yeah. and, and even the really filthy thick ones. custard. Even the filthy bought ones, <laughs> I, will, I will eat them if I find them. But uh, Ooh, anyway, that's a bad start to our, to our nutritional stuff, yeah. Well, it just shows that we are human after all. Well, no, I am not yours. After all. Yeah, absolutely. Delightfully Amazing. Rock. Listen, um, how have you been? How's your week been? Good, good, yeah. I've been, uh, what have I been doing? Um, Something struck me there today. I've been watching this show uh, on Amazon called The Terror. Uh, what's his name directed it? So he, uh, what's his name? Uh, it wasn't Spielberg, but it was somebody huge who was involved. All right. Up in the North Pole, and it involves a bit of a beast. And it's back, set back in the 1800s, and the sailors trying to find a gap through Canada, and they get frozen into the ice, and it turns absolutely terrible as they uh, get very, very hungry. And you can imagine what they start doing. Uh, so... Okay. Um, uh, and there's a scene in it where the, the poor old captain's dog disappears and then some guy's walking around with a dog leg and he's having a bit of food. And uh, I thought no more about it. I thought, okay, they killed the poor dog and they ate it. This is what people do when they're starving. And then somebody on the radio a couple of days ago was giving out about cats. And they said, you know what the big difference between cats and dogs is? That if you pass out dead uh, in your kitchen, uh, a dog will sit loyally beside you and won't eat you and starve to death, whereas cats will eat you. And I was thinking... That's a little bit. Uh, that's a little bit unfair to the cat because you know if I was locked in a room with a cat and I was starving to death, there would be a certain amount of time where you start looking at the cat <laughs> with newfound. Yeah. Now uh, it might be because I've been watching horror uh, every night for the last seven nights. Uh, and but anyway, I thought it was a bit unfair on cats, and I just thought, well, um, surely most animals would do it. Would dog not eat you if you was if you was out? Well, I, I'd go the other way around because. Cats, I hate to bring this into a technical space, but no, we have to. Cats want fresh prey. Yeah. And if yeah. you've been dead for three days, they're not going they're not going to be interested in that. But dogs yeah. uh, do thrive on carrion. Yeah. And there have been cases where dog has eaten owner. So ah. without wanting to dwell on a quite a uh, macabre yeah. T- t- yeah. tone of phrase, 
um, I think the dog would, would eat you, give it at yeah. a push, at a real push. They would sit loyally by for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine and days. And they'd be like, hmm. And then they'd be in. <laughs> I'll just take, they won't even notice a little nibble off his butt. <laughs> and that'll be grand. Um, yeah, I think that's the big difference between uh, like a pet owner and a pet guardian. It's just necessity. That's what I've been thinking about today. But anyway, <laughs> bloody hell. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, thank right. you. There you go. So that's what, what about you, Nick? Anything exciting uh, on the radar well, this week? You know what? I've been I've been in the office for two weeks now, and so settling into the new place, and that's really really great. And yep. um, um, so there's a couple of things I wanted to say. Uh, one was thank you so much for everybody who contributes to uh, Patreon. Um, people are just putting a few quid in every month just to say thank you, and we really appreciate it. I've put several hours into this this today as i do most days as connor does in order to just get some information so that we can sound like we vaguely know what we're talking about and it's quite fun to do and you learn through doing it i was just thinking today what else do we do we eat we learn go to bed repeat that's it we learn we're learning every day we're very very lucky that we we have got a job that involves learning every single day so I think that's really exciting. So thank you to the Patreon guys. We really appreciate that. Anyway, listen, we're going to do yeah. myths. Yeah. We're doing myths. Absolutely. Which is, uh, there's a lot of them about, I've just done the write-up so on Facebook. So if you look on the Facebook, you'll see below it. It's like, I don't know of any other branch of science where so much misinformation, disinformation, so much industry leverage, industry uh they've got they've got a lot of power industry if coca-cola gives you two million dollars you and you've got a laboratory that you've got to run and and mouth feed and a staff of two dozen people you're going to be fairly compelled to take that and Mar marion nestle wonderful new york uh, uh nutrition researcher yeah. she says that wherever somebody is paying you unless they're completely independent you will likely unknowingly be influenced by that paycheck for sure yeah, she's she's written a book uh can't what's it have you read that one Marion it's Nessel's about book. um this is, she's a human one she's done a pet food one as well she has she's, yeah i can't remember the human one uh plus uh, not packaged facts is it no that's another no thing. no anyway um, marion yeah. nestle i could find it for you but people yeah complain when we give you too many books <laughs> if yeah. you want it let me know and i'll i'll, I'll dig it out for you so um there you go that's a so she she uh she said she said a great thing nick marion nestle said a great thing that really helped me because mm. behind most myths is uh usually a company trying to make money honest to god behind most myths i mean i would say Ooh. um more than 50 percent of the stuff we're going to talk about tonight bar some of the things there's a big difference between misinformation and disinformation. And misinformation is where somebody got it wrong and presented it as fact because they thought it was correct, I believe. And disinformation is somebody that knows what they're saying is wrong and presenting it as fact. It's okay. deliberately misleading. So D for deliberately. Okay. I believe that's a difference. But it's certainly at the crux of it tonight. The science can be wrong on things. Science can do flip-flops mm. all the time. Mm. But often, certainly with food, as you're alluding to there, Nick, uh, the flip-flop is because um, usually some money has been behind us. That or a very yeah. stubborn scientist, uh, but often, more often than not, certainly tonight it would be about money. But Marion Nestle had a great thing to say about multinationals and their uh, 
they're, they're sullying of the scientific waters, and particularly big pharma, producing more than 90% of the papers on medicines today, which is uh, certainly more in keeping with big pharma than it is patient outcome. We know this. We know it's a massive problem. They sponsor 75% of American news. Uh, so really big problem, that is. And what she was saying is you're wasting your time hating multinationals and thinking that they're the problem. Multinationals are just a group of people trying to make money. And they, in turn, are owned essentially by their shareholders like this company, Blackstone and all these other companies we hear. <laughs> and we, we, so we hate them. Oh, they're the evil overlords. And people take the, take the mickey saying, isn't there like, a, you know, oh, you think it's lizard men? It's like, it's not. This is all just what, this is what happens with capitalism when you allow companies that are designed to make money in charge of any decisions because every decision will be to make money. And she said, what they are is predators. They don't love you. They don't hate you. All they care about is consuming and eating dinner. And their dinner is cash. Simple as that. Lions don't hate you. Hyenas don't hate you. Dogs don't hate you. One of the nastiest uh, carnivores out there. He can eat you while you're still alive. So um, to, to hate multinationals is a waste of time. These guys are just playing a system and they're playing to win. And that actually did me a lot of favors. It's like, yeah, I'm wasting my time. This is just a group of people. The people making the drugs don't think it's a problem. The people doing the bogus science who are actually conducting the study don't think it's a problem. The people that put the results ever so slightly. Nobody thinks it's a major problem because it isn't what their one particular role. And it's not just, it's not a beast out there with somebody going, <laughs> you know, for the large part. Anyway, I hope that helps people. Marion Nestle came up with that. That really helped me. Yeah, she does stress that most... Uh where there is influence uh, on, on, on genuine scientists. Obviously, if you clock in at Coca-Cola every morning and go to their laboratory, you're gonna, you, you, your, your paycheck is going to be very influenced by them. Mm. But if you happen to get a grant from Coca-Cola and you, you've been doing studying, I don't know, sugar or the ex exercise and losing weight and keeping healthy for 20 years, they say... It, there is influence, but it's usually very deep psychological influence there. Yeah. If there is, some people can get a, get away with it, but often there is something like eight times more likely to favour a, a study in in favour of the the yeah the people who um, yeah. pay the bills who, and who, the right who pay for the pay yeah. for the study. Yeah. Uh, let's start with one or two maybe s simple ones. What would be your first? I've got a real cracker to start with, but what would be your favorite simple myth that you'd like to dispel right now? Oh, I, I think I think one of the biggest ones, one of the earliest ones, that yeah, was was fat, and uh, and the dangers of fat and saturated fat, which began in the forties and fifties, fifties and sixties, and it led on to the sugar issue that I know you're going to love talking about, Nick. So mm. with the saturated fat, this guy called Ansel Keys, I always think his second name is Keen, Ansel Keys in the 1940s came up with a way to preserve uh, pet food for the, or human food for the American military. It was called Ration K, Special K. Ration special K, K. K. <laughs> that's something else. But uh, <laughs> mind you, that's what the Germans were marching on, something similar. Anyway, um, so, um, so this guy came out of the war as a bit of a nutritional hero that he came up with this way, this cool way of preserving food. Tasted disgusting, apparently. And uh, eventually, then one of the presidents was a, uh, who in the 1955 had a had a heart attack. Wasn't was Eisenhower. It Eisenhower or was something it Eisenhower? Like that. He, he had a heart attack, and yeah. he took it very personally, as you would, as a heart attack would do to you. And he looked at the, <laughs> the fact that heart attacks were were killing half the American half of the American deaths at the time. They said, "Wow, what's going mm. on? With heart attacks." And Ansel Keys, to cut a long story short, mistakenly jumped 
to the role of saturated fat. And he really had a bee in his bonnet about saturated fat. And at the, at the time, the, he wasn't financially motivated that, to make this mistaken conclusion, but that's what he did. And saturated fat was his issue. He went off and collected data. But in, in hindsight, we now know uh, he excluded some important data. So he looked at high-fat countries and found that they were more prone to heart attacks, but then excluded France and Germany, which had really high-fat diets, and they didn't have anything like the heart attacks. He would pick certain Greek islands, but he would ignore Corfu beside it, which had a higher fat diet and less heart attacks. And so that, in hindsight, they found out. But he was so influential by partnering up with the right people. And, and each time he got a leap up the ladder, people would say, who is Ansel Keys? Where did he come from? He's just a, a, a chemist. He's not a... And up and up and up until eventually the whole world bought in on it, particularly the American uh, Nutritional Association and the Heart, AHA, American Heart Association. Yeah, I'm going to jump in there for a second and just say, he, he looked at the stats from, I think, 22 countries, and he found the seven that fitted his hypothesis, Ooh. and he published those seven. And he said, look, I'm right, because yeah. all seven countries, and you think that's a really stinking thing to do, but actually, it's a very common thing to do in science, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay? He, was, very he, was a very, he was very magnetic, and he was very... Um, yeah, uh, he, yeah. He, he he could he could talk anybody into anything. Perfect TV, he was, he, perfect TV personality versus a real food chemist. So the the good chemists, the good food scientists, the good uh, climatologists, they aren't the guys you see on TV. The guys who make it to TV and the top of CEOs and presidents, they've got character and a bit of flair because that's who you want to listen to on TV. So despite the fact all the really important uh, fatologists that uh, study fat were saying this guy's completely off his rocker, that's not true at all. There's no link. In 1974, Time magazine had him on the front saying this guy is going to reduce heart attacks. You need to slash your fat intake now and uh, in comes sugar in a big way. Turns out, although this is where Nick's going to come in because he said this enters sugar in a big way. And when yeah. you take out saturated fat, it means you take out meat, you take out dairy, you take out butter, eggs, you take out all the ingredients, natural homemade ingredients that come from farmers that are shipped to your plate in pretty simple terms. There's nobody in the middle, a bit of distribution. And suddenly, if you drop fat, you need products. And in comes manufacturing and a whole lot of different products and sugar. And manufacturers then got in the game and started making money. But it took Time magazine from 1974 to 2014 to issue the retraction and say, eat butter. Eat butter was the, was the caption in 2014. And it took the guy, the main fatologist, what's the word, lipidologist, uh, it took him from 1974 to 1996 to get his paper published, a review of all the evidence they had for saturated fat. It's called a meta-analysis. He had to sit on that for 20 years. No journal would publish it, even though what Ansel Williams was selling was based on nothing, utter nonsense, no, no serious signs of any value. The main meta-analysis criticism of that, they didn't publish it for 20 years, no journal would touch it. So if that doesn't tell you anything about science, I don't know what does. It's like people that are afraid even like, listen, I have to bring up this example today of, you know, cloth, cloth face masks. You know, we know that we now know utter nonsense. Cloth masks have virtually zero effect, 136 studies now, but one or two showing any sort of benefit at all. You have to move to an N95 electromagnetic one, which nobody uses. They are ridiculous. It's like trying to stop the smell of perfume. It doesn't work, but it looks good and it's a little bit scary and it kind of gets people to act. And so if they went on that basis, then that might be true. But who would publish the results of these studies that show, no, hang on, guys, these cloth, simple cloth masks don't work. They don't work. But nobody will publish that information. So you think science just 
constantly thumbs down on, well, the good science is here and the bad science is here. That is not the way. There's a whole lot of power and politics and everything behind getting the paper out. Yeah, it's, it's really worrying, but we are only human. But the thing is, we should learn from our mistakes with Ansel Keys yeah. and say, 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 listen, guys, we need to discuss this stuff. We need to have journals where we can discuss these ideas. But we did it again. You know, in, in, in the last two years, we've all gone charging over a cliff like lemmings, following the same ideas, only to find that, oh, no, masks yeah. don't really help. And, and, yeah. and there are lots of other things. But I don't want to bore you don't with, want, yeah, with, with viruses. Get, we'll get cut off. Yeah, Where exactly. Are we on the sugar, in the sugar bits, so saturated fat was incriminated for yeah. a long time, Nick. And so low fat was, was your cholesterol, order of the day. Cholesterol, I, cholesterol as well. Yeah. He was the so one who made, made us, he didn't, yeah. Give us a bit on cholesterol there or sugar. Well, cholesterol, everybody says that cholesterol is really bad for you. And so since about 1977, I think, in, this, in, in the States, they started saying we've got to have low-fat, low-cholesterol food. And the, the, the uh, manufacturers of, of ultra-processed food thought, this is fantastic. We can make food and we can sell it to the American public. They did the same in Europe, but we tend to follow the, the trends that happen in America. And so... From 1977, everybody went for, well, everybody. And many people were persuaded to use low-fat foods. And you would think that if Ansel Keys was right, that the obesity rates, the heart attack rates, the diabetes rates would gradually trail off as the rates of eating saturated fat, beef fat, pork fat, chicken fat, and all these things, saturated fat, animal fat, eventually they would trail off. But what actually happened the, from 1977, and it's almost to the day, you see obesity going like this, you see diabetes going like this, you see heart attacks going like this. So actually somebody made a boo-boo. And as Connor was rightly saying, it took them 20 years to realize that they had got it wrong. And why did that happen? And the answer was, when you take fat out of food, because fat tastes great in food, okay? Whether you like fat or not, it gives a certain mouthfeel and, and you're primed to, to eat it throughout evolution. It was very rare and so you, you, you were primed to, 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 to really crave it. Salt, fat, sugar are, are the things that we really go for. So when you reduce fat in food, you've got to put something else in in order to maintain your sales. And what do, the, what do you use? Answer sugar. You also use salt, but that's another question. But you put plenty of sugar in because then it's attractive. It has a certain mouth feel. And they designed these things so that they have impact in your mouth. That first bite of burger, that first spoonful of trifle is where all the taste is, Connor. Yeah. And they killed hundreds and hundreds and thousands and millions of people by giving them sugar because sugar yeah boost the insulin and will cause loads and loads of negative effects. Yeah. Things like gout, things like Alzheimer's disease. They associate it with cancer. They associate it with diabetes. They associate it with obesity. Yeah. So, yeah. great. Let's, let's have a chat about sugar and maybe calories. Because when I was at college, I was taught that a calorie is a calorie. If you eat a calorie, you keep a calorie. Yeah, absolutely. Unless, unless you burn it off. Yeah. What, what, yeah. What, when did you come across this whole thing that a calorie is not a calorie? And what are your what, the books you, you put me that? onto, Nick? You put me onto this first, actually. Ah. You, uh, while while I was always into this whole food kind of business, uh, okay. and I oh, I had always suspected this this low fat kind of sugar business, 
I didn't yeah. actually investigate that sugar hook until you put me onto Tobes and a couple of the of the big things. You're gonna have to come in with a reference here. Jason Fung has written the obesity code, and I think it's yeah. one of the neatest. Yeah, it is. Right. Runs through what it's all about, and his, in a nutshell, the, the, the punchline at the end of the book is that uh, obesity is not a calorie disease. Obesity is a hormonal disease yeah. like diabetes like addison like mm. cushing it it's not necessarily your fault it is a hormonal disease and that's where he goes so yeah. it's wonderful the obesity code yeah now um should we do right. the final furlong on a bit of pork yeah let me get this pork bit out nick this um i need i need to read these out because believe me guys this was new to me so there's uh, we've only got a few minutes but here we go i i, I dived into pork uh, briefly, this is about four o'clock. I thought, okay, I have a quick look at pork because I want to straighten out my head on trichinosis. Trichinosis was a little worm in pork, largely American pork, Asian pork. It uh, wasn't really a European thing, but it was a big, scary thing in the 80s. And everybody would have known to cook pork very well in the 80s. Mm. Even if you're in Europe, we were very much yeah. contaminated with this scary message from the US that was laying people out. It was a nasty bug. Uh, one of the first little intensively reared uh, animal problems that this worm was. Uh, they've since kind of gotten top of it, certainly in the, in the US, and we have very much gotten top of it in Europe. It's, it's, it's not something you would consider anymore. It can pop up its head now and again, but it's not a big deal, trichinosis. Okay, I kind of knew that, so I was going to say, that's the myth on pork put to bed. Then I read an absolutely very worrying article for us raw feeders, because I don't mean Ryan feeding a bit of raw pork. But I just need to read you out some stats. Uh, first one, hepatitis E. Does that alarm you just when I say that at all, Nick? Hepatitis E. Um, here are the stats. Never come across E, no. Me neither. Brand new to me. In developed nations, mm. pork liver is the top food-based transmitter of hepatitis E, a virus that infects 20 million people each year and can lead to acute illness. I straight away thinking, yeah, in, in stranger countries, not, not in Europe. Uh, and fever, fatigue, jaundice, vomiting, joint pain, stomach pain, their symptoms. In large liver and sometimes liver failure and death can occur. Here's the stats in America. In America, about one out of every 10 store-bought pig livers tests positive for hepatitis E, which is slightly higher than the 1 in 15 rate in Netherlands and 1 in 20 rate in Czech Republic. That's 1 in 15 in Netherlands, where most of our pork comes from, tests positive for hepatitis E. Mm. Livers off the shelf. Um, yeah, but what happens when dogs eat this stuff? Because I don't, I have humans no idea, eating it raw is one thing, and dogs eating it raw might be something quite different. I, I wager that dogs have been eating uh, a wild boar liver for a million years. And I would, I would back that because it turns out um, the wild boar thing is, um, yes, it might be tempting to blame the hepatitis E epidemic on commercial farming practices. But in the case of the pig, wilder doesn't mean safer. Hunted boars, too, are frequent hepatitis E carriers capable of passing on the virus to game-eating humans. Um, so, yes, my question would be, would dogs suffer the same issues? I mean, talk about pig eaters. They will happily eat pigs if they could catch them. Can't see many dogs taking down wild pigs. They are tough, tough animals, but they would eat them as carrion. So um, I, I don't know is the answer, Nick, but I'm just, I'm just highlighting this, okay? So I don't want to put scared pants out of people. Believe me when I say I am going to be looking into hepatitis E in dogs, and I will then write a more complete article on it and put it up on the website. So, Brilliant. As, as, as regards trichinosis... Um, it's a big deal in, in Finland, they've, and they, what they've done is they've, they, they just cull anything that's got the slightest hint of trichinosis, and they've eliminated it. Um, that, so the other thing, 
the other thing though is that if you freeze all your meat, it eliminates virtually all but the most exotic of parasites. And therefore, I think that you might get away with just eliminating all parasites simply by putting all pork products in the freezer before you put them in the dog raw. Yeah. Now, viruses will not be affected by freezing. No, they won't. But will the virus affect the dog? It might affect humans, you know. Uh, I think it'll kill because it's a little worm. So that would, uh, yeah. I'd, yeah, so I'd imagine it will. But there's more here, Nick. Um, multiple sclerosis. Do dogs suffer MS? They do suffer similar similar diseases. Yeah. I googled. I googled and got the same answer, and uh, I didn't look anymore. Like I said, guys, I am. This is more from a humorous perspective, but it's things we've never considered at Royal Park before. And I am never going to shy away from warning people if something pops up. Listen to the stats on MS and pork consumption. When all countries were considered, pork intake in MS showed a whopping correlate of 0.87 at the p-value of 0.001. Um, highly, highly significant. For perspective, a similar study of diabetes and per capita sugar intake found a correlation of just 0.6. Pork and MS was 0.87 when analysing 165 countries. So highly relevant kind of correlation there. It doesn't mean causation, but, you know, it's the smoke alarms going off. Earlier, a study of inhabitants of the Orkney and Shetland Islands of Scotland, a region teeming with unusual delicacies, including seabird eggs, raw milk and undercooked meat, found only one dietary association with MS, consumption of potted head, a dish made from boiled pig's brain. The potential for pig brain to trigger nerve-related autoimmunity isn't just an observational hunch either. In 2007-2009, a cluster of 24 pork plant workers mysteriously fell ill with progressive inflammatory neuropathy, which is characterized by MS-like symptoms such as fatigue, numbness, tingling, and pain. The source of the outbreak? So-called pig brain mist. Tiny particles of pig brain blast into the air during the processing. Uh, when they inhaled, uh, they tracked the workers and they found out that was definitely the cause of it. Um, so that's the MS thing. Wow. Yeah, brand new to me, this link. Uh, another very, very scary thing about So, okay, look, they have no idea where MS comes from. Uh, we, we had an MS diagnosis there when, we, when my wife had Lyme's disease. We were told it was MS, essentially, and we're sitting in front of the, uh, the MS guy of Ireland. He's kind of telling us, well, this is what happens. And it's like, well, it could be something else. He was like, no. Uh, anyway, so they really don't know where MS is coming from, and they do suspect it's some sort of dodgy little virus-type thing. Uh, that was a good leading cause, but I don't want to talk any more about that because I know a little about it. Um, anyway, okay. there you go. I think, uh, so, Nick, I think... we only got two, two myths. Oh, three. We... we did cholesterol, we did saturated fat, sugar, low-fat diets. Bit of calorie, bit of calorie yeah, stuff. Yeah, calorie and calorie pork. hypothesis. Pork, bit of pork. That's not bad, actually. We got about halfway through the list. Yeah. We'll do it again but... when Bren's here. We'll give Bren a shot at this. This is the sort of stuff Bren likes as well, no doubt. He does like this. I was just yeah. thinking, we're... I'm missing him a bit. I think yeah. that I think we do great stuff, and I think people like it. But it's great when he's here. So, uh, Brent, if you're seeing this, I'm not just blowing smoke. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it's good you do. You add a, a lovely little frisson, and absolutely, uh, your your yeah. smiling face is, is is much wanted. But we hope you're having a great time in Canada. Um, any thoughts on what we're going to do next time? I, I always land this on you. Not a clue at the end of the show. Or what we're doing next week, Nick, I haven't a clue. Uh, we'll just look at Patch on, see what people are talking about and uh, yeah. steal their ideas and pass them off as our own. Yeah, okay. Patreon, it's up to you. Um, have, a li- have a little think and um, shout and uh, whoever, whoever, the greatest um, consensus, that's where we're going to go. That's okay. where we're going to go. Absolutely. Connor, it's great to see you. Take care of yourselves. Cool. Thanks, Nick. That and, was great. Um, that was really fun. 
We'll yeah, see you soon. Good night, Bye-bye, everybody. Guys. Thank you, and we'll see you in seven short days. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. <laughs> Blind, 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 blind,